Amen. It is good to see you this morning. Happy Mother's Day again. I want to introduce somebody to you before I preach. John, you all, would you stand up? And your wife is with you. Would you both stand? The you alls are with us this morning. Uh, would you welcome them, first of all? Thank you. We are so glad they made it. They were supposed to speak for district assembly this week, but travel being what it is, um, got delayed. But they are going to be with us tonight at six o'clock and I would invite you to come and hear them. The, the 21st, not tonight. Thank you. <laughs> don't come tonight, you may be seated. Uh, don't come tonight, the 21st, next Sunday night at six o'clock. Uh, the Uals are missionaries in South Sudan, North Sudan, Western Ethiopia, and the refugee camps in East Africa, including Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, and North Sudan. They have wonderful stories to tell about God's work in some really difficult spaces. And so thank you for being with us this morning. And thanks for being with us next week, too. If you have a Bible this morning, would you take it with me and would you turn um, to the book of Lamentations today? Lamentations, the third chapter. If you have trouble finding it, it's back there in the major prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. If you get in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you'll find it there. Lamentations chapter three. And if you're with us and able this morning, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the Lord's word. As I read Jeremiah, or Lamentations, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and then verses 19 through 24. I am someone who saw the suffering caused by God's angry rod. He drove me away, forced me to walk in darkness, not light. He turned his hand even against me over and over again all day long. He wore out my flesh and my skin. He broke my bones. He besieged me, surrounding me with bitterness and weariness. He made me live in dark places like those who've been dead a long time. He walled me in so I couldn't escape. He made my chains heavy. Even though I call out and cry for help, he silences my prayer. He walled me in my paths with stonework. He made my routes crooked. Now verse 19. The memory of my suffering and homelessness is bitterness and poison. I can't help but remember and am depressed. I call all this to mind, therefore I wait. But certainly the faithful love of the Lord hasn't ended. Certainly God's compassion isn't through. They are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I think the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's a chorus uh, that we sang often in church when I was growing up. Uh, in fact, I, I looked it up. The chorus was written by a woman named Edith McNeil. She lived in Texas. She wrote one song and published it in 1974. We don't sing it much anymore in worship, but it's one of those songs that we sang often enough that it got caught in my head, in my heart. And I find myself humming it, sometimes quietly or, or singing it from time to time. It goes like this. My guess is a few of you have it stuck in your heart and head to, you're welcome to sing it with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new 
great is thy faithfulness. I'll confess that until this last week, I had always assumed that that chorus must have come from one of the Psalms. It sounds very psalmy. Um, I really, and this is a terrible thing for your pastor to admit, I had no idea that the text for that chorus comes directly from the book of Lamentations. The text we just read, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. I think I honestly never expected such beautiful and hopeful words to be found in such a depressing book. Um, But there they are. In my defense, I wasn't really taught much growing up about the book of Lamentations. It's rarely read in church. I've been preaching almost every week for 21 years, and this is my first and perhaps only sermon I have ever preached or will ever preach out of the book of Lamentations. I've often read the first chapter of Lamentations, and some of you may remember I love the first chapter because there's this repeated phrase over and over again. There is no one to comfort her, no one to comfort her, no one to comfort her, no one to comfort her. And so often I'll read Lamentations 1 so that I can then flip to Isaiah 40 and hear the voice of the Lord, comfort comfort ye my people. But until this week, I never really kept reading the book because truly the rest of it just seems so depressing. In case you ever decide to read the book of Lamentations, I did find some interesting things out about the book that might help you. Uh, Lamentations is often credited to the prophet Jeremiah, but that connection is really never made in the text. And so many, if not most, Old Testament scholars reject it because that's what Old Testament scholars do. Um, But the book then comes to us anonymously as a series of laments about the fall of Jerusalem after the year 587 BC, a fall that we talk about a lot, especially as we've been going through the Old Testament, Babylon swallowing up Judah into exile. But it's not just a a series of deeply sad laments. It's also an invitation for us to really look at what happened to Judah and Jerusalem and to reflect upon it. The lamenter is concerned that people are looking at the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the walls, the erosion of the kingship. And what they're doing is they're just staring at it with fascination, sort of like when you pass by a car accident and you can't help but stare at it. Or perhaps there are some that are even scoffing at Jerusalem's devastation and maybe even delighting in Judah's downfall. She got what was coming to her. But the lamenter wants us to look at Jerusalem and feel the deep pain of its collapse and weep with him about the visions of what could have been but now are not. The lamenter wants us to hear his story and shed tears with him and look with him to see if amid all the rubble we might be able to look and discern in all the mess somewhere in there the fingerprints of God. And to wonder, where is God in the midst of all this destruction? One of the fascinating characteristics of Lamentation is actually its form. It only has, it's only five chapters long. But the first four chapters are poems, but they're written as acrostics. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And the first word of each line in each of the chapter, first four chapters of Lamentations starts with one of the 
letters in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, etc. In fact, some translations, if you have the Common English Bible, which I read from today, you'll notice it has these strange characters out to the left. That's the Hebrew alphabet reminding us that each of the first words of each of these verses starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Just a fun fact, chapters 1, 2, and 4, therefore, have 22 verses for each of the 22 letters or of the alphabet. And chapter 3, the writer went crazy. He has 66 verses, three verses for each of those letters. But the whole book is full of laments because the lamenter has a lot to lament about. The structures that brought stability are gone. The economy has collapsed. Home is now a strange place, surrounded by strange people. The community is rapidly losing their children to the culture of Babylon. The political and religious divisions that plagued Judah prior to its collapse have carried right on and continue to create division among the exile communities. In fact, things have gotten so bad that the lamenter is quite certain that God is out to get them. In fact, this is fun. If you have your Bible still open, look at Lamentations 3, those opening verses again. There are a number of Old Testament scholars who think the opening verses of chapter 3 are, are the 23rd Psalm sort of upside down, the bizarro version of Psalm 23. For instead of his rod and his staff comfort me, the lamenter writes, I am someone who saw the suffering caused by God's angry rod. Instead of he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters, the lamenter writes, he drove me away, forced me to walk in darkness and not light. Instead of he restores my soul, the lamenter writes, he wore out my flesh and my skin, he broke my bones. Instead of I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the lamenter writes, he walled me in so I couldn't escape. He made my chains heavy. This whole book is just poetic darkness and sadness and lament. But right, almost exactly in the middle of all these laments, the lamenter still can't escape this one deep hope. Sing it with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. So months ago, when I, I first laid out this journey through the scriptures, and if you're a guest with us today, we started back in October, and we've kind of been going through the Bible text by text and, and book by book. But when I laid it out, I was pleasantly surprised at the way various Old Testament texts fell in some right places. And some have even shocked me. And honestly, honestly, there have been some texts. I was very worried about this as we got to Lent and Easter, and the text just seemed to be right. It was like the providence of God was involved in it. I even thought about writing my own lectionary for a time. Um, however, when I laid it all out, I knew that Mother's Day was going to be a problem. Uh, the first thing they teach you in seminary is this, do not mess up Mother's Day. Uh, and so I, 
I have truthfully been worried for a few weeks that Lamentations was falling on this Sunday. In fact, I thought about skipping ahead into Ezekiel, but it's not much better. Um, <laughs> because this text feels somewhat inappropriate for today. It reminds me of a story uh, I love. Tony Campolo tells a story about a time when he was a young intern at a church when he was uh, studying for ministry. And one of his responsibilities was to read one of the scripture texts for the morning during worship, just like we often do before pastoral prayer. And it happened to be Mother's Day, and his job was to read the text. And the text was supposed to be from 2 Timothy chapter 1, which read it today. It's a lovely passage about the faith of Timothy, a faith that was passed on to him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. It's just a perfect text for Mother's Day. Unfortunately, Tony accidentally turned to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and started reading there instead. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, do not read it today, is a text that recounts all of the horrible sins Paul thinks the people in the world are living out. And so as soon as Tony started reading 1 Timothy instead of 2 Timothy, he knew he had made his mistake. But rather than stopping and correcting himself, he just started reading the text more boldly, hoping it would work itself out. And so boldly, he kept reading and eventually he got to the verse about judgment. And it literally in the King James says this, that there is judgment prepared for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane and for the murderers of mothers. Happy Mother's Day, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, so I have really been fearful that preaching from Lamentations on Mother's Day might be equally tone deaf. Um, however, as, as Pastor Brent, who heard this sermon earlier this morning and stole much of it in what he was doing earlier. Uh, but as he was remarking, the, the closer we have gotten to the day, the less inappropriate Lamentations seems to be for Mother's Day. Because as lovely as today is for all of us, as we celebrate the women in our lives who not only gave us life and carried us close to their heart, but also those of, of us who have been loved with that tenacious kind of mama bear, uh, tenacious love, maternal love, that somehow at the same time is both passionate but gentle. I know that today is often a day of lamentation. We grieve for mothers who aren't with us over broken relationships, as Brent said, or we cry because of expectations and hopes that haven't come to fruition. We did have a lovely service in the park yesterday um, as we released those butterflies. Um, it was beautiful, but also pain-filled. And the liturgy was filled with deep laments almost straight out of the book of Lamentations. So perhaps it's okay for us to have this text of laments shape our imagination even on a day as joy-filled and celebratory as Mother's Day. For even here today, there is much to rejoice in, but also much to lament. But even in our laments, we can't help but sing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. 
But I've also been worried about this morning because I knew that this morning is my last sermon before I leave for a few weeks on sabbatical. And thank you, by the way, even if you didn't know, thank you uh, for allowing Deb and me to take the next 10 weeks or so as a time of renewal. Although um, pastors getting sabbaticals is encouraged by the denomination, it, it's not required. And so I realize how fortunate I am to be in this kind of role where getting that kind of opportunity is possible. And I've never had one before. And so I'm very excited um, to get to do this. Um, Thanks for your generosity and your kindness. But that being said, for the next 10 weeks or so, I'm leaving the kids in charge. (laughs) So don't let them throw wild parties and don't let them burn this house down, right? no, I, I'm, I know you'll be blessed by, we have so many gifted preachers and ministers. It, I hope they do well, but not really well. Um, <laughs> but as I was thinking about this morning, I've thought about this morning a lot. You know, your last sermon before you leave on sabbatical should be a bell ringer, a text where heaven and earth kiss, right? Your last sermon on sabbatical should be some kind of theological mic drop where the altar is filled at the end. And you don't exactly go to lamentations for heaven and earth kissing. But again, the closer we've come to this Sunday for me, the more appropriate lamentations has felt. Because if I'm honest with you this morning, which I tend to be to a fault, um, I head into these weeks of sabbatical with a pretty heavy spirit and with more than a few laments on my lips. At first, I thought since the lamenter wrote acrostic poems of lament, I thought I would take today's sermon and create 26 points, A to Z, uh, pastoral laments. Um, But one of the important points of Mother's Day that they teach you in seminary is get out on time so people can get to brunch. But in seriousness, these eight years together have brought some amazing miracles and some unexpected blessings. But these years have also come with unanticipated levels of shared grief and loss. I've come to accept that death is a part of life and that funerals and memorial services are part of the pastoral role. In fact, I would say it's part of the pastoral privilege but we have experienced a significant number of losses of people whose absences have left not only a big hole in our hearts and in our church, but also in this community. And many of those losses have not only been shocking, but at times they have been horrifically tragic. And some of those losses, as you know, have also been really personal. So thank you um, for walking through those with us. And some of the deaths we have experienced were not just the end of a life, 
but also the other kinds of deaths that are equally and sometimes even more painful than physical death. Many of you in these last years have walked through the death of relationships, through shattered dreams, through the loss of economic security. And I will admit too, I have not only walked in those journeys, but have carried even some pain of unfulfilled expectations myself. And like all of you, I I lament, as Pastor Brent said, and again, stole from my sermon, the unending violence, right? The daily tears at the fabric of our world. All of it is awful and just, it, it heightens our fear of each other, heightens our fear of the stranger. And as your pastor, I lament that it seems that our only imagination for trying to respond to violence in our world is to create the possibility for more of it. As I have often commented, I weep that we are like Pharaoh's magicians who have no ability to turn blood back into water, but can only take some of the last clean water in Egypt and make more blood out of it. I'm excited, kinda, to gather in a few weeks at General Assembly as a denomination. If you're unfamiliar with us, we get together about every four years and vote on stuff and argue about stuff and, and hug each other. Um, but the absolute best part of that gathering in a few weeks is the worship. There's something heavenly about the various ethnicities and nationalities and languages gathering and worship together. By the way, pray for Pastor Heather, who's helping with the children's ministry at General Assembly, and pray for Pastor Ryan as he is part of that leadership team for worship. But the joy of that diverse gathering, it will be wonderful, but it will only further my deep lament for the continued challenges of racial reconciliation here at home. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour of the week in America. And we have got to keep working at becoming a reflection of Pentecost together. And I know, like many of you, I I carry a heavy burden and more than my share of laments for the faith of the next generations. Deb and I, one of the privileges of this last eight years has been the small group that we've become a part of. They've become deep friends and we dearly love each other and we're all kind of in the same stage and age of life. We joke that when we first got together, many of our requests were for our parents' health, for our careers, and we've been together long enough, now we're praying for each other's bodies. Um, But without question, overwhelmingly, 90% of our prayer requests over these eight years have been for the faith of our children as they transition into adulthood. And like the lamenter, there are many days when it feels like Babylon is winning or has perhaps already won. And there are certainly signs of hope. As Brent mentioned, it was such a joy to get to ordain three of our staff this week and to have two others recognized. And I, Deb and I got a chance to be at Washington Pacific District Assembly and our dear friend Bree, who was our children's intern with us for a couple of years, she got ordained over there. I hope you're paying attention 
that somebody on our staff gets ordained almost every year or some bodies. I know it's not a contest, but we're clearly winning. <laughs> and that's, that's really a credit to you. Thanks for being the kind of church that has a deep concern that this faith be intergenerational and that the leadership of the church is handed on generation to generation. And sometimes that means not everything goes as smoothly as it ought, but thanks be to God, we are a place where people can thrive and sometimes fail for the first time and be loved into newness. And thank you for that. Yet, <laughs> there are still lots of gaps there, aren't there? And there's still a lot of heavy prayers, I know, in this room. And it probably goes without saying how painful the disruption of the last three years has been. Again, there are signs that God is bringing good things out of it, but the politicization of everything has been exhausting and heartbreaking. And I fear at times that it will take decades for the American church to overcome much of what has been exposed in us over the last few years. I'm way too old and have way too much invested to give up on my faith in Christ or my commitment to the church. But I will admit, some days even my faith has felt rocked to the core. And so I understand why it has shaken the faith of so many. When I read the New Testament and study Christian history, I know intellectually that the body of Christ has always struggled with unity. That is not a new problem. The saying often associated with John Wesley, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty, but in all things charity, it is a beautiful sentiment and a great aspiration. And I love it, but it doesn't really help us discern what are the essentials and what are the non-essentials. By the way, my essentials are correct. In the era of the lamenter, there was a deep divide between prophetic camps. Some people followed Jeremiah and his expectation that Babylon would take Judah into exile, while others followed Hananiah and his expectation that in the same way God delivered Hezekiah from Sennacherib and the Assyrians, God would rescue that generation from Nebuchadnezzar and from Babylon. Now, Hananiah goes into largely historical obscurity and ends up getting a bad rap in the Bible. And unlike Jeremiah, he doesn't get his own book, nor does he get painted into the Sistine Chapel, because he ended up being wrong. God did not deliver Judah from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. However, and this is my pity for Hananiah, my guess is that Hananiah was not being knowingly deceptive. I assume that he at least thought he had a genuine word from God. And those who followed him not only liked his message because it was optimistic and Jeremiah's was so horribly sad, but because it sounded true to them. Only time could demonstrate that Jeremiah was correct and that Hananiah's well-meaning prophetic proclamations were more shaped by his personal hopes and desires and by his own political perspectives than by God's will and direction. And by the way, in this analogy, I'm with Jeremiah, not with Hananiah. Although, honestly, I may very well be Hananiah. We are again in one of those frequent moments of divide between well-meaning prophets in the body of Christ. 
But I am a prisoner of hope that time and the guidance of the Spirit will eventually bring the global church, not just our denomination, but the global church through this divide as it has through others in the past. But in the meantime, it makes church leadership much less fun than it ought to be and something few desire to pursue. My hope is that in the next few weeks of sabbatical that I get time to work and reflect and I hope to finish a couple of writing projects and I hope to visit some places and communities and expand my vision and leadership and I hope to get some rest from, from some of the heaviness and lay aside a few of my laments. But mostly, I want to take time to look, really look with the lamenter at the devastated beauty that is the broken and crucified body of Christ. And to see again, not just all there is to lament, but to also see amid the rubble, the fingerprints of God. The presence of the risen Christ making all things new. Because even while many of us can lament all the way from A to Z, there is something tenacious in our soul that causes us to know the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They God, thank you today that you hear our laments. And again, as Pastor Brent said, they're they're not just moans and cries. That's the kind of stuff that God's people did in the wilderness. Laments are those pangs deep within us that knows you are better than this and life, you want life to be better than this. And so it is those cries that we make in hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And so God, I I thank you today for this church and for, and again, so many, especially today, so many amazing, faithful, godly women in this congregation who love not only those that you've given them in their home, but who love those you've given them in the church and in the community with the kind of tenacious love that is such a beautiful reflection of you. And it, it feels heavy, God, these days. Not just outside the church, but inside. There is much at times to celebrate. There is much at times to lament. But I pray, God, that you would capture our hearts, make us prisoners of hope. Each day as we awaken, may we be reminded that your steadfast love never ceases. 
Your mercies never come to an end. Renew them in us. Bless these next 10 weeks or so, God. Bless those who will bring the word. Bless the worship. Help them preach well, but not super well. Uh, may people come to know you. May your spirit break out and transform us. May you continue to do the good things that you are doing in us and through us. And so bless these months, these weeks together. Renew our spirit. Capture us with your love. For we pray this in Christ's name. God's people said, amen, amen. We don't sing that chorus very much anymore, but we do sing this one. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this together.
draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise pastor asked us if we have listened well. He's mentioned that uh, he begins his sabbatical this week. And so the board, or Dave, on behalf of the church board, would like to make a small presentation. And then for you, my friend, we want to take time to pray for you and for Debbie and for your family as you begin this time of rest and renewal. On behalf of the staff, we are thankful for you, for your leadership, your love, and so we'll hand it over to Dave. You come up also. Scott, um, <laughs> on, the half, on behalf of the board and congregation, we want to express our appreciation for the teaching, preaching, love, and care that you've given our church. For the last eight years, it is obvious to me and others that you have poured your whole self into the spiritual growth of this church. Our prayer for you is that you deeply enjoy this time of personal growth, rejuvenation, and reflection. Thank you. So we're going to take a moment to pray. So we're going to ask you guys to come down here. And Pastor Brent's going to pray. Take it away. One of the things we do in our ordination service, and it might be a little Pentecostal for some of you, but it's going to be okay, 
is the elders often lay hands on one another as they pray before them. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit unique. I mean, as Pastor Scott and WWB right here, would you come and gather? All of us going to link hands, arms on top of each other. Come on down. Everybody going to link arms on top of each other. Going to crowd in the middle. And I want to pray for Pastor Scott and Debbie in this season. Just touch hands on shoulder to shoulder. If it's too Pentecostal, it's okay. You don't have to. But I want them to feel the love and the power and the grace of this congregation upon them. God is good, and he has blessed us and is blessing us with Pastor Scott and Debbie. Let's just pray together. Gracious God, we feel your deep love through us, through Pastor Scott and Debbie. We thank you for these eight years where we have heard your voice of challenge, heard your voice of compassion, heard your voice of love, and we have been blessed deeply by, by their leadership, by their passion for your word, for their passion that you be remaking us, renewing us in the ongoing journey of sanctification. And Lord, for the days ahead, we pray for great rest upon them. We pray for great discernment. May you guide their feet. May they hear your voice. May they know the deep calling upon their hearts is in your will. And Lord, I pray you'd bless them. Give them a good rest. Give them time with each other for Scott to write in places of peace. And as he said, Lord, may some releasing of lamentation occur. Lord, I pray that you would lift his spirit, encourage him, Lord, strengthen him, both he and Debbie. May they enjoy each other. May they enjoy their family. May they enjoy your creation. And Lord, for the days ahead, we pray to be filled again with your spirit of power and grace and love and mercy. Their steps would be in your hands. So Lord, we are a people of deep thanksgiving, and we're so proud to be able to send them off for these weeks, for them to hear your voice and to be renewed and strengthened for the, day, the new journey ahead. And Lord, thank you again for the time we've had with them. Lord, so I pray your blessing would fall upon them. May again, Lord, your spirit go with them with new joy, new energy, new love for each other and for your church and for this church and for your people. As the days unfold, Lord, we will trust all things into your hand. For you are the God who will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, we're thankful. You'll care for this church, but Lord, care for Scott and Debbie. May these 10 weeks, Lord, indeed be a Sabbath, a sacramental Sabbath of renewal of hope and joy as we offer to you our, their burdens, but also as they hear new joys and new wisdom and new insight for the days ahead. And Lord, we'll trust you and thank you for your provision upon their life. And we're a hopeful people and a joyful people. And Lord, we bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Send them out in joy and hope and peace this day. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, let me go up here. I can't see you. <laughs> Unto him who by his power at work within us, that's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. To him be glory in us, the people he calls his church, and his son, Christ Jesus, now and for all generations. And God's people said, amen. amen. Go in his peace.